This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Praise God. Well, let's um, let's get into our message here this morning, and we'll we'll um, keep moving along. You will want to open First Peter, and we'll give out a text in a moment. So we're looking at the process of growth, and uh, to date we've looked at faith, which is in the genuine believer is strengthened in trial uh, and in persecution. And, uh, you know, if you're a genuine believer, you may even be persecuted in a religious organization that goes by the name of a church. Um, that, that does happen, and it's not uncommon. Uh, we looked at time, that despite our desires that we want everything to happen immediately, God has things in his time frame. And... Uh, and he is working at things and he will complete it in his time. And one of our functions is to keep our hearts focused on the Lord through the trying of your faith. We looked at acceptance. The Father accepts all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ because they are found in Jesus Christ. All believers have full acceptance in Jesus and that acceptance is not on the basis of any merit that we have. And so, you know, some idea that uh, uh, a, a certain culture might be closer to God or um, or have some sort of divine right or, or something like that, uh, that is not the case. It has always been and is always and will always be about faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, we thank God for that, that we have acceptance in Christ. That God has a purpose. His purpose is that he would mould and shape your life into conformity to the character and person of Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 verse 29 particularly talks about that. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 11, Paul actually makes the plea that the life of uh, Jesus might be made manifest in your mortal flesh. That's your flesh before you go to heaven. Because when you go to heaven, you're immortal. So this side of glory is this time that Paul is desiring that God would make manifest in you the life of Jesus so that others will see that. And uh, we looked also last week at the preparation that Genuine faith is strengthened in trial, but also God will use trials and he will use difficulties to subdue you. Uh, you know, maybe in areas of your life, areas of character that need development. It could be that uh, that there is a, an innate sense of arrogance in your life. And so God will use trials in order to defeat that so that he can subdue you, he can chasten you uh, and uh, and refine you and all of this is part of his working in your life uh, so that he um, can develop you further and further and prepare you for that which lies ahead and um, uh, you know we he's rooting out that love that we have of self 
and that love that we have of the world and the things around us and reliance upon those things. So let's have a look this morning briefly at the idea of being complete in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. These are very fundamental ideas in the Christian life and why would we look at them? And the reason is simple is because your Christian life can be no better than the source upon which it is based. You'll find there are, there are two really extremes in the, in the Christian world. There is the hyper word of faith, extreme charismatic world, and there is the exclusive region of, of, of very cult-like domination of, of, of extremely independent believers who, who remove themselves from all attachment and association with anybody within the world and try to almost make themselves not part of the world, uh, not even in the world as such. Um, I had a friend in Tasmania, for example, who, who um, approached someone to mow his lawns and the man was forbidden to mow his lawns by the church that he was a part of because my friend was a... Um, uh, a bit on the charismatic side and so this other fellow was part of uh, the exclusive brethren and the church told him that he wasn't allowed to mow his lawns. He had a lawn mowing business. So the only lawns he mowed were people from within the church and uh, that's all he did and that's how he's, he built his business and non-Christians, interestingly. <laughs> so there are these kinds of extremes within Christianity but actually... They are just a, a fruit. They're a product of the seed. The seed contains within it all of the genetic code that is going to make the plant and going to make the fruit that comes from that plant. And so, uh, you know, we, we're looking at these kinds of foundational issues because they help us in in growing correctly because we are making sure the right seed is being planted in our hearts. And youth and immaturity tend to act faster and and, and think later, if at all. Uh, maturity t- learns to take time to assess things and not rush headlong into things. Um, and this is part of... Maturity is not necessarily an aspect of age as such, uh, but sometimes it is. But maturity and wisdom come from that reliance upon the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to embed deeply in our hearts so that we would trust and rely on Him and take uh, the weight of Scripture as the guide for our lives. And, and the Lord, who is a husbandman to us uh, in the agricultural sense, He's working, He's tilling the soil of your heart, uh, and, and working the soil of your heart, he is willing to take time to work the soil of your heart uh, to produce maturity in your life. This is what he is doing, and, and in my life he's, he's working these things to produce maturity in us. So First Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through, uh, 2 through 25. This is from the... New American Standard. 
Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. It's a wonderful passage, this one. And uh, and in essence, Peter is saying to them that life cannot be better than the, uh, than the root, than the source of where that is coming from. And marketing and all these kinds of things appeals to the surface. Everything about it appeals to the surface and tries to convince us in the generation that we're in if only we had that certain brand name frame. You know, remember when Ray-Bans were it, man. They were they were cool, right? Everyone wanted to have a pair of Ray-Bans and so people were taking trips to Asia and picking up Cartier watches and Ray-Ban frames that were that were copies. Um, and uh, and it was cheaper than buying the same things just down on the on the street at a proper jeweler uh, because they were they were just copies. But there's a superficiality to that that deals with the thing of uh, of possessions and material things giving us some kind of pleasure. And it's dealing with the surface of what appeals to the eyes and what appeals to the heart, where scripture. Here, Peter is talking about you and I being rooted down firmly, like an oak, like a cedar tree, you know, that our roots go down deep and we're being watered from somewhere else, not like the grass. That is very surface level, its root is shallow, and given, you know, a few weeks uh, of insufficient watering, and that grass is going to go from uh, something alive to something dead. It's going to wither. And uh, But the word of the Lord is not like that. It endures forever. So in searching for cures to diseases, um, recent science in the last few decades has gone into the DNA code and uh, the, the human genome and these kinds of things. And they are looking within that code to find what defects people may have, people who are suffering from things, and then <clears throat> to see if there's a way that they can correct that uh, with, you know, by the insertion of the correct uh, string of code, so to speak. And all this is is evidence that that the human physicality and sometimes even the you know the brain and different things is affected by the source code we've been affected by the source code that's what has happened and um, uh, there's a corruption of the DNA that's at the source uh, in life and this is why you know mortality is an indication of that we're, we're all going to die um, and as the scripture promises Jesus, often used natural facts to teach deep spiritual truths. And understanding our natural Adamic life 
helps us to understand and appreciate our spiritual life in Christ Jesus, that the old life has been overcome by Jesus and we've been made into a new creation. But this harkens back to the issue of created after its kind, because you and I, born in Adam, have all been born after a kind of sinful man. And every believer learns that uh, our completion must come from Christ. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Paul also said in Romans 7, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing, or dwelleth, if you like the King James. It sounds nice. When through failure and struggle, God will teach us about our natural conditions so that we will be ready through repentance to come to faith in Christ and learn of a the, the spiritual source of life. Romans 5, 19. Uh, I think it's actually, I think maybe I had the wrong text there before. Yeah, sorry, that's supposed to be 19a, the first one. Um, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many shall be made righteous. So the first one is, should be Romans 5:19, the first half of the verse. By one man's obedience, many shall be made righteous. Now, why and, and how is this possible? Well, in Colossians, uh, Paul says in Colossians 2, I thought I had this one up for you. Um, it's not all fully prepared. There was a few distractions while getting this ready. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. In Jesus, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. In him, you have been made complete. How is that possible? Because in him all the fullness of deity, in other words, into that human frame, all of the Godhead that could be physically fit was crammed in. And so there are two main aspects. Remember, we are talking about the source here. S-O-U-R-C-E, source, not S-A-U-C-E. We're talking about the source of life here, the source of life for you. And so as unregenerated people, as before we are born again, you and I are of the Adamic source and sin rules and reigns in our lives. And that's why we often, before being born again, uh, through the frustrating hand of the Lord, he, he starts to make us aware of our sin and we begin to battle with these kinds of issues and we wonder why it is that we want to do something uh, a certain way, but we keep tending toward the sinful preoccupation with life and that is the Adamic source of life at work in us. And uh, But in Christ Jesus, you've been made complete. All of the source code for victorious living is in your life. Now, there are two main aspects to this source principle. And that is, the first is that the Lord Jesus, 
He is the source. He is the fountainhead of your Christian life. It's not a church. It's not membership in a church. It's not adherence to a religion. It's not being raised in a Christian church and having been infant baptised. It is none of these things. The Lord Jesus is the source of your Christian life. It all begins and ends in him. In salvation, you were born into him and God has made you complete in him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says that if any man, any man, any person, man being the you know, the old way of saying mankind in the general sense. Okay? Um, so if you think we're being sexist, then we probably are. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all has become new. All. It's all there. So Christ as the source of life. He is all the source of life for you. And you have been made complete in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The second principle in this is that we experience this truth in practice as we hold on to it by faith. This is really important because we don't experience the fullness of Christ in our lives by a simple external adherence to some set of church rules. You know, um, as I as I look out in our congregation and as I stand here, just about everything visually is different from the uh, church where Suzanne and I were involved for many years. You know, like it was suit and tie kind of stuff. Everybody wore suit and tie. Ladies all wore skirts, all this kind of thing that went on. Uh, very much that type of thing. Um, and there was a great emphasis put on the external. And as a result, whether that's external performance or appearance, all these kinds of things, uh, but the result of that is that people then begin looking at the externals as indicators somehow of what might be occurring internally. And this is really dangerous. This is a very dangerous thing to do because we then begin judging people by the external. And more and more often, the controls become more and more rigid over people's lives because we need to fine-tune this mechanism for assessing people's spiritual growth and development. You say, man, that sounds cult-like. Yes, it does, because it is cult-like. And even though I could, I can, you know, you can search out the statement of faith of that church, the wonderful statement of faith, it is, it is very true. I'd stand by it today. But the practices of that church from the top down were practices that, that lean toward having control over the members' lives and dictating in so many different ways through subtle deceit and control and sometimes not so subtle. Little by little in the Christian life, 
by life in Jesus, you are receiving from him what is actually already yours because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And he is teaching you to walk less in the Adamic rule of the the sinful life, which will finally be broken when we're taken from this world and we're in the presence of God, walking less in that to walking more in the new life you actually have in Jesus Christ. The seed is there. The important thing to know and to be sure of is that we are complete in him now. Any man who is in Christ Jesus, this is the hard part, any man who is in Christ Jesus is an old, is a new creation, the old has gone. If I'm not wrong, the English, that's the past perfect tense, it means that it's something that has occurred at a point in time and it's done. The old has gone. And all has become new. So there's a a juncture in time when you became a believer and God said that old man born in Adam is now done with and now you are the new person born in Christ. Hallelujah. And you have everything for life and godliness. But there is growth to take place and sanctification to take place in our lives. This quote here by J.B. Stoney. Progress is only advancing in the knowledge, the spiritual knowledge of what we really possess at the outset, at the outset of the Christian life. Obviously, he's talking about in its context. It is like ascending a ladder. The ladder is grace. The first step is we believe that the Lord Jesus was sent of God. So faith, by faith, by grace through faith, we are saved. Second, that in the fullness of his work, his work, we are justified. It's not us. We don't justify ourselves. By God's grace, we are justified. How? Through faith. The third, we make his acquaintance. We get to know Jesus. It goes from a knowledge about Jesus to knowing Jesus. Fourth, we come to see him in heaven. We know our association with him there and his power here. So we we understand as we grow that though Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father now in heaven and, and in his resurrected body that we will be able to look upon and see and that is going to cause in us an awe and, and a wonder at the majesty of God taking on a human form just like us. The scripture says that there's nothing significant in him that caused people to look at him. It wasn't like people choosing Saul. Why did they choose Saul? Because he was head and shoulders above the rest of them. They chose Saul for physical attributes. But the scripture makes it really clear that Jesus was not, there was nothing admirable about him as such. He's an ordinary looking bloke, to use the Hebrew phrase. But we'll look upon him. And and so as we grow in our knowledge of him, we realize that though he's seated there, he is working here. There's a work he's accomplishing here in our lives. Fifth, we learn the mystery, the great things we're entitled to, to because of being his body. Sixth, that we are seated in heavenly places. That's Ephesians 2. 
in Christ Jesus. That's a present reality. So you're in 66 Bradman Drive in Cranbourne West, but the scripture says you are seated with him now in heavenly places. This is the spiritual reality of what is true. And then seventh, lost in wonder and in praise in the knowledge of himself. That the Christian life is something that should take us from being as we are now to that as we grow in Jesus Christ, we will, we will grow in our wonder and amazement of him. Think back to yourself before being saved. You know, it's, it's not like God got a bargain with us. You know, this is not like uh, going into the Bentley dealership and he says, oh, we've got a special on today for you when you walked in the door. Ten cents, you can have the latest Bentley. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a bargain. God didn't get a Bentley for ten cents. He got, he got something broken for the blood of his son. It's the other way around. And so since we are complete in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to do in our lives to try and add to that completion. This is the the great tragedy of the works-based religion. You know, Mormon doctrine, I, I do my best, Christ makes up the rest. That's a formula for broken people. That when they get past that point of self-righteousness and they begin seeing their sin, finally, when they start reading scripture, independent of the teachings of Brigham Young or whoever it might be, that and they start reading the scripture and they see, excuse me, that they're incomplete and insufficient to, to do their best. They have nothing to offer God, it's not that Jesus makes up the rest, that he fills the gap. So it's a matter of walking by faith. It's a matter of receiving by faith. It's a matter of appropriating by faith from the ever-abundant source of life. Jesus our Lord. Walter Marshall not to be confused with Walter Martin. And if you want an excellent book, if you're evangelizing and you are dealing with cults, then Walter Martin's great book, The Kingdom of the Cults, uh, is a, a fantastic book. If you have any interest at all, it's a beauty. Walter Marshall, though, a, a great preacher, said, Christ's resurrection was our resurrection to a life of holiness as Adam's fall was our fall into spiritual death. And we are not ourselves the first makers and formers of our new holy nature any more than our original corruption, but both are formed ready for us to partake of them. And by union with Christ, we partake of that spiritual life that he took possession of for us at his resurrection. And thereby, we are enabled to bring forth the fruits of it, as the scripture showeth by the multitude of a marriage union. Romans 7 verse 4, married to another even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Our part is not the production. Our part is the reception of Christ. We're not 
producing righteousness, we're receiving Jesus. And he's producing that in our lives. Now this entails receiving, uh, you know, this, this receiving of Christ entails a couple of things. Bible-based fact-finding. There's a lot of Christian myths around. You know, the Word of Faith movement is filled with them. If you you see them coming around on on uh, social media, sometimes people send through these emails and and it will say things like, um, you know. Pray, you know, urgently pray this prayer ten times uh, for, and it'll have some reason, by 6pm, God will bless you if you do. This is the the social media version of those um, chain letters that used to go around. It's the same thing, but it's a lot easier and cheaper, because people don't have to put a stamp on it. They can, And they churn these things out by the score. Bible-based fact-finding. Search the scripture. Jesus criticized the Pharisees for this. He says, you think you know God? Search the scriptures, for these are they that speak of me. That's, that's pretty potent, isn't it? That is in your face. He's confronting them because they publicly, they declared themselves as the knowers of God. K-N-O-W, Noah's not Noah, right? That they knew God and they were the ones to go to. If you want to know about God, go to them. Jesus, in front of everyone, tore them down. This was confrontational. You think you know God, search the scriptures and you'll find it is talking about me. Receiving from Christ entails explicit faith in him and his purpose for us in Christ. It's not... And again, we, we get back to the the cult-based churches, you know, that that they have a central gospel message about Jesus Christ many times, but in practice, people have their faith in that institution as well as in Jesus to some degree. I've had many people contact us and uh, some of you have met a couple of our friends who've come out of uh, that movement in particular and they are so scared before coming out that they're going to fall away because the message of fear is put in them that everyone who leaves backslides, falls away, their marriages fall apart and... uh, you know, they become unfaithful, they get addicted to drugs and alcohol, all these kinds of things. So there's a, a fear agenda used to control people. And so that is then putting what may start off as a foundation of faith in Jesus has become a foundation then of faith in this ministry and th- that if we stray aside, we're going to fall away. That's not faith in Christ. And receiving from Christ mean, requires a patient trust while he takes us through the necessary processing involved. Processing is a very clinical word because God has to do a bit of processing in your life. 
not necessarily data processing, a bit of flesh processing. He's, he's got a, he has to work some things out of us. It's not him trying to understand us. He understands us. He's trying to get us to understand us, who we are. And he's, he's working these, and this comes as we search the scripture and as we walk closely with him in prayer. See, believers are not accidentally mature. We don't accidentally mature through Though, though we're complete in Christ. So, so this is kind of this, this is what they're called the now but not yet doctrines. Now we're seated in a heavenly place. Now we are complete in Jesus. But we're not yet fully matured. So there is a, a now present spiritual reality and there is a now present earthly reality about your Christian life. Your soul is secure in Jesus Christ. But here you've got some maturing to do in this life. While we, while we live on this mortal coil, we, we have some, some maturing to do. And God is working that in us. And this spiritual growth is not an accident. It requires hunger. It requires determination. And it requires meditation and thoughtfulness. We were talking with the granddaughters on the way to church this morning about some of the great accomplishments that people have made in history and how did they come to doing those things and and most of those amazing accomplishments happened or many of them happened before the time of computers and TV and all this sort of stuff maybe even electricity when people discovered all kinds of things about gravity and displacement and about extracting oil from an olive like who thought that? Who plucked a, one of those hard, bitter fruit and, and ate it and thought, I think I can get oil out of this, and then decided that they were going to press it and get oil out of it and then have this wonderful, healthy commodity for cooking and eating uh, for years to come? Who thought of that? It wasn't somebody sitting and watching The Block or, or My Kitchen Rules. You know, It was someone who through thoughtfulness and experimentation and time came across this and worked this out somehow. And in the same way, and it may just be that they sat on an olive and had an oily stain on their, their you know, burlap sack that they were wearing. But whatever it was, they worked that thing through, through thought and meditation, through considering it, giving giving consideration to it. And this is part of the process of the spiritual life, that you and I would uh, hunger for the Lord, that we would be determined to see that growth in our lives, that we would meditate and think on spiritual things. I keep coming back this morning to our previous experience in our old fellowship, and, you know, seven days a week we were busy doing things in that organisation seven days a week. So much so that there was often very little time for the disciples, as they were called, the boys anyway, were called, for the disciples to actually grow in scripture and research. Everything was given as a, you know, like a bowl of porridge in the morning, to easy to digest, 
nothing deep and substantial. Christianity concentrates itself onto into this narrowed down perspective of trying to gain the fullness of the revelation of Jesus. That's where life and vitality for your Christian life is. That we would narrow down our focus into that that issue of who is Jesus? Who is he in relation to scriptural prophecy? Who was he in relation to the biblical records of the day? The gospel writers and, and uh, you know, who is he in relation to the epistles and the, the doctrinal letters afterwards that gave instruction about Jesus and the life and life in Jesus. Because we don't need to speculate about Jesus. There is plenty within Scripture to fill up the source of searching in your life. You see, the Christian life is really a seed life. Seeds are are amazing things because they have the full reproduction of their life source. I like my veggie patch and I do enjoy planting seeds. I'm very impatient. I don't like the waiting time in between. But I do enjoy planting seeds and I I do look at them and just think, you know, this is pretty amazing because this little seed does not look like a zucchini, you know? But a zucchini plant's going to come and it's going to fill up my veggie box and nothing else will grow because it overshadows it all and, you know. But zucchinis are going to come. So this amazing plant with amazing flowers and then an, an amazing fruit is going to come from that seed. Within that seed is all of that. The code is there for all of that. Being, you know, and you, you can't add to it. You're putting it in the water. You're, you're watering. Sunlight is doing its thing. The soil is providing some nutrition. You can't add to it. You could put a second seed in. That's about it. So it can't be added to. And that's why Paul said in verse 20, uh, sorry, Peter in verse 23, chapter 1, 1 Peter, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. In Adam, you were born of cor- the corrupted seed of death. And although now, if the Lord tarries, your physical body must die to transition to the next stage of life, although that that is man's fate, your inner man, through faith in Christ, has been born again of an incorruptible, imperishable seed of new life in Jesus Christ. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. See, Leviticus says that to the to the Jews, they were told not to sow a field with mingled seed. And if you have anything to do with farming, farming on large scale 
generally is nothing like your veggie boxes in your back garden where you put a few of this and a few of that in the one box. Farmers don't want that. They want a seed of one thing, a crop of one thing that they can harvest and process all in a similar fashion because it's it's all about time efficiency. That's what they want to do. The Jews were commanded not to sow one field with another. Possibly God instructing them this so that they would have this uh, ease of work, you know, with regard to that. But it was so that the this whole symbolism of their separation from the world around would be seen and that as they walked by faith in Jesus uh, in the Lord uh, the, because they didn't know his specific name at that time as they walked by faith in him and were obedient to him he would bless them and their crops would produce and they would see bounty out of that through that obedience and so by faith we're not to sow mingled things the seed has been planted. If you're born again, the seed's been planted. You're a new creation and God is developing his divine life in you. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus said, if you've seen me, who have you seen? The Father. All of the Father has been revealed to you in me. That's a phenomenal statement. And now what God the Father is trying to do is show the world Jesus through you. That God's image bearer would be on the earth. Just as Adam was supposed to be. The Father's perfect likeness created in the Messiah. Amen. We'll close with this quote, William Law. A root set in the finest soil in the best climate and blessed with all the sun and air and rain can do for it is not so sure a way of its growth to perfection as every man be whose spirit aspires after all that which God is ready and infinitely desirous to give him. For the sun meets not the springing bud that stretches toward him with half the certainty as God, the source of all good, all good, communicates himself to the soul that longs to partake in him. We'll rephrase it. A tree in all, a seed in all the right conditions does not have the guarantee of growth that a believer who yearns for the Lord will have. God longs to meet you in that yearning. He longs to do that because he longs to bring you to that place where that completion in Christ is coming to fruitfulness. You're complete in him. He wants to bring the fruit out. Just like that seed that has all of the source code in it for that wonderful plant. God, all the source code is there in Christ Jesus. God wants to bring that forth in your life. And that's where the essential victory is for the Christian life. There's a story of a Japanese artist, and you can look up his artwork. It's amazing. Um, Hokusai. I was telling Mackenzie about him, and he goes, yeah, he's Hokusai. She knew about him. She'd seen the painting. So anyway, 
he said that from the age of six, I had a mania for drawing the forms of things. By the time I was 50, I had published an infinity of designs, but nothing I produced before 70 is worth considering. He died at 89, declaring that if he could only have five more years, he would have become a great artist. This is the Japanese mentality. God hasn't finished with you. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, his best work in your life is still to come. And that, that should excite you, that the best he's producing is still to come. Yearn for him and let the, the source code of his life is already at work in you. Yearn for him and let him bring forth the fruit because it's all there, ready to come forth. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is not a word of faith message, but the practical outworkings of it are not about works-based performances, but about you in the privacy of your life just yearning for the Lord with all your heart. He will do the work. Hallelujah. Our Father, we thank you this morning. We praise you for the love you've demonstrated in Jesus. And thank you more, Lord, even that in Christ Jesus you have granted unto us all the fullness of life, Lord God, that we might mature in him and bring forth the fruit that you desire in our lives that we could declare to the world around us the reality of the living Messiah, Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.